And so we are continuing this series that we started last week as we uh, kind of titled it The Hall of Faith. And, and last week we looked at uh, kind of the intro of the book of Hebrews and this the series is focused on Hebrews chapters 11 and 12. And again, we saw last week that the book of Hebrews was written to a Christian audience and it was written to a, a larger church audience that was in crisis. And many of the New Testament letters were written to specific churches uh, and very specific situations. Hebrews is a lot broader in its context, um, but yet it is incredibly relevant for everything that we face. And, and just like we see how relevant this, the Bible is to everything that we face, we, we see right now how the book of Hebrews is incredibly relevant to all that we've been walking through as a culture and as as a nation and, and as a world through this, this COVID-19 pandemic. But as we looked at Hebrews, we saw last week that not only is the book and the, the crisis that it addresses relevant today, but so is the answer that Hebrews gives. Because the answer to any crisis that we face is Jesus. And that's exactly what Hebrews tells us to do, right? In, in the book, and at the climax of the letter in chapters 11 and 12, it tells us no matter what crisis you face, to dive deeper into your faith. Right? And that's exactly, again, what, what I hope you have done throughout this time, right? That's what I believe we have a lot done as a church, what we've done. I've seen a lot of people that have done that, and I hope that you have done that yourself. As I said, the climax of the book is Hebrews chapters 11 and 12. And we see chapter 11, again, is known as the Hall of Faith. Right? And it, it gives us all of these Old Testament biblical characters and their stories and how their faith right, got them inducted into this hall. Right? And the things that they did and the pieces of their stories, again, that, that as they lived out this incredibly strong faith. And then we get to chapter 12, and chapter 12 is a call to action to every believer to truly live out your faith no matter what you face. So as we've gone through, like I said, we started this last week and kind of the overview of that. Then, then today and next week, we're going to look at two very specific um, biblical characters that are mentioned in in chapter 11, and then we're going to conclude with chapter 12. And, and the very last week, week four of the series, is where we then move to that call to action. And, and again, how that applies to our lives, right, as we continue to live out our faith every day. But, you know, this last week, there was uh, one of the people from our church that, um, that was, had posted just this, um, kind of this epiphany moment in her life, and how God has spoke to her through last week, and and kind of move that, and, and she, she kind of went through and about how she was just rising above and how she was going to take her faith more seriously. And at the end of that, um, she put on this hashtag, okay, and she hashtagged it, Hall of Faith Contender. Right? And I saw that, and I talked to her, and I'm like, hey, can I use that? Can I ask all of our people as we go through this series, as we go through even this you know, this, this crisis and continue to move forward as we turn to our faith. Let's post things that we see God doing in our life, seeing things that, that we are going to commit to, and let's use the hashtag Hall of Faith Contender, right? That our faith, we are contending to get inducted into the Hall of Faith, right? So I, I encourage you, again, if you post online, you, you know, something that God showed, shown you about 
that yourself or about your faith or whatever it might be as we work through this series, I encourage you to, to, um, again, to, to post those, right, to, to tag the church and to hashtag Hall of Faith Contender. Right, but as we do that, I want to start again where we were at last week in 11 with just the biblical definition of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for, and it is the evidence of things we cannot see. Again, this is the biblical definition of faith, and we, we start the hall of faith with this definition, and then we go into these following verses, which is what we did last week, as we kind of break down that definition, and, and look, what does that really mean, and, and how do we dive deeper into that? And then we see after those intro verses, like I said, in the hall of faith, it starts to go back to all of these, these incredible biblical characters, and their, their stories, and their faith. And, and, and this morning, again, I want to focus in on Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me up to Hebrews chapter 11. And then we're going to look in at verse 7. Okay, and look at the story that we're going to focus on today. In Hebrews 11, verse 7, it says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that he had never that had never happened before. And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Again, as we see this, this verse, right, as it, as it introduces Noah. Now, again, Noah likely does not need an introduction, right? Noah is a story that many of us know. Right? If, you've grow, if you grew up in church, you absolutely have heard it, right? It, it is a favorite of, of every kid's ministry, right, in every curriculum, I mean, in all kinds of things, right? We talk about Noah's Ark all the time. Even if you weren't raised in church, right, and went to Sunday school as a kid, you've heard this story because it's, it's everywhere, right? There's been, I mean, theatrical movies made about it, and like, I mean, it's referenced all of the time, right? And, and it's within Noah's story is where we get the rainbow in scripture and Again, we see that, and like every time that it rains and you see rainbow, you know, like we're reminded of Noah's Ark. And so again, Noah doesn't really need a lot of introduction, but yet when we see verse 7, right, he brings it up and he talks specifically even about Noah and about his faith and about his story and about what God asked him to do. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to dive a little deeper into this very familiar story, but, but the reason why I want to dive into it today and look at, at him is because he had incredible faith. Right? I mean, he wasn't just a Hall of Faith contender, right? He's an inductee, right? And so he, obviously his faith was starting to get him into the Hall of Faith, but yet oftentimes, though, we don't look at this story past our childhood. I don't know, for me, right, is, is you know, I mean, again, we hear about Noah's Ark, we see all of the, the different things, and, and yet um, it, it's easy to not go back and read the biblical story ourselves, right, as adults. And so that's what I want to do today. So we're going to start um, with just kind of setting the stage, right, for this story. And that is, what was life like before the flood? Okay, what was life like before the flood? Now, we, we, we see this landscape laid out for us in Scripture in Genesis chapter 6. So again, if you have your Bible now, flip from Hebrews, flip all the way to the beginning. Okay, the, the very first book, kind of even the beginning of the very first book in Genesis 
we're going to open up to Genesis chapter 6. Now, like I said, if you're going to follow along with me today in your Bible, you just leave it open to Genesis, and we're going to look at 6 and 7 and 8, and kind of, we're going to kind of glance over the whole story of Noah this morning. But we're going to start here, Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start with verses 5 through 8. Okay, Genesis 6, 5 through 8, where it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth, and it broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing. All the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. So again, not only do we hear in these verses, we, we see the, the landscape of the life before the flood. And yet, even right here, as, as, we, as, as you know, we're laying, getting the, the, the lay of the land, so to speak, right here in life before the flood, Noah is mentioned. And yet we see, though, that this, this downward spiral from the Garden of Eden towards death and destruction escalated very, very quickly. Remember, again, we look at the, the story of creation, right? We have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and, and then they, they again brought, they ate the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and they brought sin and death into the world. And before the fall, right, is the world was was perfect, right? The garden was perfect. They, they were not sinful, and yet as soon as they sinned, right, then we started this downward spiral, this further away from God process. It was started by Adam and Eve, and it continued, and yet we see, right, we, we go from the Garden of Eden to this point in Genesis chapter 6. I mean, literally, it's like two chapters, right? We see the fall happens in chapter 3, and then by 6, we get to this place, right, to this this place, right, where, where um, it was incredibly evil. I, I, how, how quickly did this go? In fact, there, if you go back in your Bible and you go back to those genealogies and there's different places that it gives you where, you know, this person has, this, was this person's son and then this person and then this person. And you get there, you can, you can count generations. They, in fact, how quickly did it go? There are only 10 generations between Adam and Noah. 10 generations. That's very quick. Right? To go from perfect in the Garden of Eden to this place right now. Right? Because again, what does it tell us in, in, in verse 5? Right? It says that the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Again, if you have an outline or, or if you're, you're just taking notes, I, I just encourage you to underline that phrase, consistently and totally evil. And you can just, just let the weight of that statement just sink in for a moment. And then notice... God's response. Right, what is God's response to this fact, this observation of his creation? 
that it was consistently and totally evil. And God's response in verse 6 is that he was sorry he had ever made them. And that it broke his heart. Again, let the weight of that sink in for a moment. Consistently and totally evil. God was sorry he ever made humankind, and, and it and yet, at the end of this, this very dark description of life before the flood, we have this, this glimpse, right? This exception to this statement, right? And, and that exception, again, was Noah, right? Noah was the only exception to this very dark culture. We see this in verse 9, right? As Again, we see that this is the account of Noah and his family. As, as we continue on, right, as we, Noah's mentioned again in verse 8, then we, we move on to verse 9. Here's the account then of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Now again, I don't know about you, but there have been times when I have felt that it was hard to walk and live by faith, right? Because of the people around me or because of things that people had said or kind of whatever it was, right? And there, there are times when it was hard. And, and I'm not downplaying that fact, but can you imagine what Noah's life was like in walking with God? And yet, right? I mean, again, just, just a few verses apart, if we go from consistently totally evil to Noah was righteous and blameless, right, and walked in close fellowship with God. I don't know about you, but that's a goal for a life, right? That's a reputation that I want, right? And notice that no matter what his surroundings were like, that's where he And again, do we have to wonder why God picked Noah, right, to do this for him? I mean, again, his, he was so close to God, and, and his faith was so important to him. It had to have been, or else he, this could never have been said about him, right, in the context he was living in. And then the story continues on. Okay, we're going to pick up at, again, verse 11. It says, now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. And put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, uh, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal and every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground. 
will come to you to be kept alive. And be sure to take on board enough food for your family and for all of the animals. And so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Again, as we see and read, again, this, this description of this story, right, about what's going to happen is God tells Noah what's going to happen. Okay, we see that God gave Noah some very odd instructions. Right, can you imagine, right, Noah was like, again, he, I mean, he walked closely with God, right? He said he was close with him. He, he was in a, a good fellowship with God. And, and yet, um, here, you can imagine his response, right? He was like, wait a minute, Lord, what? You want me to do what? You're, what? That doesn't make any sense, Lord. Again, he likely had never seen a large body of water before. And therefore, he had no idea what a boat or an ark even was. And or why he would even need it. And yet, even amidst that fact, even as odd as these instructions were, right? As just as the text tells us, Noah did exactly what God He did exactly what God asked, right? I mean, that's exactly what the text tells us, right? At the end of this section, verse 22. And so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Now, again, I don't know about you, but there have been times when I've heard from God and, and things haven't really made sense or, or God gives me a direction, right, or a step or, or the next thing to do. And yet I can sit back and I have lots of questions for God. Right, and be like, God, that doesn't make sense. It, it might, might be more, you know, uh, it might be better to do it this way, Lord. And, you know, sometimes God just doesn't, doesn't even answer, right, or acknowledge the fact that, that my ideas aren't as good as his, right? And, but yet, again, th- think about this. Just Noah, I mean, this didn't it made no sense to him, and yet he did exactly what God told him to do. That is a strong faith. Right, and then we see, then we move into the actual flood, right? And we see, again, the, the story of the flood that happens in, in Genesis chapter 7 all the way into chapter 8, into verse 19. Now, um, again, obviously, we do not have time this morning to go into all of the details of this whole story and to read all of that text together. They, but but uh, just say we know the gist of the story, right? They, they go in, right? They, I mean, God works through all of these details. I mean, he builds the boat, the, the animals come in, right? They're on the boat, it rains and for 40 days, and then they're on it for a long time after that as the waters recede and as the, the earth dries out and kind of all of these things. And there, there's several different things that they go through and do. And again, I encourage you, if you wanted to do that, go read it for yourself. Okay, but, but to just to summarize all of that is that they were on the boat approximately about a year. Now, again, I don't know how, how that makes you feel, but I know how I feel after about, what, six weeks of the stay-at-home order, right? And can you imagine what it was like on that boat for a year with all of those animals? And yet, we, again, we know the story, right? And like I said, it's pretty familiar, right? I mean, we, we go back, there's all kinds of kids' books about Noah's Ark and you know, we know these pictures and kind of through that. But like I said, it's widely known way beyond just a kid's story. 
They, in fact, you know, again, Scripture tells us, it kind of gives us hints about where the boat lands. And, again, there's been lots of people that have gone around and tried to find, you know, and, and excavate the, the ark. They, in fact, there's some people that thought that they found it in Iran. I mean, this is a picture of, of again, what some people think that they found in Iran. There's also another similar area in Turkey, right, that they feel like that, oh, this is where it was. And, you know, they've kind of laid it all out. They have been, not only for the, are there have been these these, um, you know, expeditions looking to, to excavate and to find it archaeologically, but there's also, again, it, take it from, like, even there's a creation museum in Kentucky that literally has built an ark the, to the dimensions that are given in scripture, and it's there again, and then inside is literally a museum, you know, given about creation, about all this stuff, right? Again, th- this is a story that we all love. Right, that we're all familiar with. And, and yet we, we know the story. We see all of these kind of epic pictures, right, of, of the story of Noah's Ark and about just what happens and all the details, all those kind of things. Now, I will say not only is this a favorite story of, of just believers and of Bible um, scholars, but yet um, it, it's also a favorite story of skeptics of the Bible. Right, this is also one, again, that people kind of hone in on, you know, they don't, they don't want to believe in the Bible and say, well, you know, Noah's Ark, like, that could never happen, you know. Uh, in fact, I, I remember it was several years ago when I was a youth pastor, I went with, with uh, a group of students. We were on a mission trip in San Francisco. Yeah, we went in inner city San Francisco. We served in a lot of different places, and we, we you know, um, served a lot of meals, and we handed out stuff to homeless people and kind of all this. And I remember I was walking with a couple students, and we were handing out just food and socks and some different things to some homeless people in San Francisco. And I remember getting into this conversation with this guy. And because, again, in that, at that time, they had, you know, Christian ministries are there all the time. And they're kind of used to it. And they kind of come like, oh, well, you know, where are you guys from? What church are you from? And, and this guy started talking. And I could tell kind of right away that, that this man didn't really care about God and about the Bible. And, and yet, that he's, but he wanted what we were handing out. And so, you know, he engaged into this conversation, and we kind of talked. And, and again, and, we just kinda, and I just kind of brought it up and asked him. And, you know, and we had these, these couple teenagers there with me and talking to him. And, and I remember he brought up, he's like, yeah, I don't really believe in the Bible. And he finally kind of came out and said what I was trying to kind of get, get him to say. And I'm like, good, we can get into the real conversation. And, and he, he came into this, and he's like, yeah, I don't believe in the Bible. I'm like, oh, really? Like, what, what is it about the Bible that, that, that kind of makes you not believe in it? And, and he brought up Noah's Ark. Right, and he's like, you know, I mean, just the, some of the stories just, just can't happen. Like, like Noah's Ark, right? Like, I mean, you know, there's no way that Noah could have got a whale in the ark. I mean, that just, that could never happen. And, and I just kind of stopped and looked at him. I'm like, you're right, but would a whale have died in a flood? And he was like, he kind of stopped and kind of looked at me for a moment. And he's like, yeah, I love the Bible. It's so great. Like, it's so true. Like, everything is, all, you know, and I'm like, okay, like, it, it's true. But, uh, again, you, we see that it's a favorite story, right? Everybody gets it. Even whether you believe in the Bible or you don't believe in the Bible, we know the story of Noah. In fact, many cultures around the world include a flood story in their historic legend, right? Whether they even know the name of Jesus, but yet a flood story is oftentimes included. Right, there's archaeological and scientific evidence for a worldwide flood. And because it is so familiar and so widely known, it isn't necessarily a story that we often go back and look at the scriptures ourselves. So again, just in summary, though, I wanted to summarize for us real quickly about different ways that Noah, by his faith, let God work out the details of all 
all of, of this plan, of this story. Because again, there were things just like, you know, I'm sure that Noah had questions. He didn't understand all of this, he, whether it was even what a boat was or how the animals were going to come in or all those things. But yet Noah, by his faith, right, let God work out the details. Here's just some examples, okay? First is that um, God gave Noah the dimensions and the details of the boat. And again, he, he didn't know how to build a boat, but God gave him very detailed instructions on exactly what to do. Okay, and then um, we, we see, right, also that, that, again, kind of one of the questions, right, about, well, the animals, like, how, how am I going to round them all up, and how do I know which ones to take, and, and whatever. Well, God handled that detail, too, because the truth, the scripture tells us that God brought the animals into the boat. Again, we think about that. Well, how could they all fit? Like, what? Again, God's pretty smart, right? And I, since God put the animals into the boat, they came to Noah and they went into the boat. Noah didn't have to round them up. And I guess is that God would have sent babies onto the ark, right? And we already know. Right? I mean, puppies are smaller than full-grown dogs, right? Baby elephants would fit on the ark a lot better than adult ones. And so many, you know, of, again, God's pretty smart. God can figure that out. Right? Then we also see that, again, you think, as we worked out, how, how do you close the door? How do you seal the door? How do you get it, get it watertight, right, after everybody enters? Well, guess what? God took care of that detail, too. God closes the door. Noah didn't have to figure that out. God closes it. God seals it. Again, this was an act of grace for Noah and his Right, that God did what they couldn't do. Okay, and then also, as we think, God brought them through the flood, but then even after the flood, is that God told them when to leave the boat. Right, it wasn't up to them. Right, in fact, it was God that worked through that detail. Now, I don't know about you, but I will tell you about me and about in my faith. There are are times when I take the details into my own hands because I'm not sure that God can handle it. Now, again, that's not like my conscious, you know, choice. It's not because I do believe that God can handle it, but yet my actions say I don't believe that God can handle it because I take all the details on my own shoulders and I try to fill in all the holes that God doesn't give me. And yet, again, that's not what Noah did, right? Noah just did specifically what God told him to do and he let God take care of the rest. That's a pretty good lesson, right? Because the truth is, when I hold so tightly onto all the details and I try to figure it out on my own, that's truly the opposite of faith. Right? Because, again, faith is trusting in what I cannot see. Right? And that God's going to work through those details. That's what God did for Noah, and that's what God does for us. So then, what was life like after the flood? Basically, we see that before the flood, we see what the flood was like, right? Then we have life after the flood, okay? And we see life after the flood in Noah is given to us in, in Genesis 8, verse 20 through 9, verse 29. Now, again, we, again, do not have time to read all of that together, but I do quickly want to read um, a little bit of it, okay? So Genesis chapter 8, and um, we're going to pick up at verse 20. Okay, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. Where it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed 
as, as burnt offerings to animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. And then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Again, there's a couple things, again, that we can learn about Noah's faith and that can help us in ours, even about life after the flood. The first thing is that Noah's first action after leaving the boat was to worship. And again, after this, I'm sure, traumatic experience and after being, you know, cooped up in a, in a boat with his family and all of his animals for a year, right? And then he gets off and what is his first act after he gets off the ark? It is to to sacrifice, and to worship the Lord. Again, this was in God's plan. That's why God told him to bring extra of the clean animals, right, for him to do this. And, and again, that's exactly what Noah did. His first act after leaving the boat was to worship. We see again in verse 20 that Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrifices burnt offerings to animals and birds that had been approved for that and then God gives them a new command. And we, we read that, right? The, the, the new command to them, but it was not a new command. I mean, we saw, we've seen this command before in Scripture. Right? Again, when we look from the, the Garden of Eden all the way to Noah, now here we have Noah. And again, what's the command that God was given, that, that God gave Adam and Eve and them? He says to, to be fruitful and multiply and populate the earth. Right? He gives the same command to Noah and his family that he gave to Adam and Eve. But yet, if you go back in Scripture and compare the two of them, okay, again, this is Genesis 9, 1 through 7 is where this is given to Noah and his family. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 29 is the original command given to Adam and Eve. Now, there is, it's a different command. It's, it's the, the same core thing, but the difference in them, right, is that the original command to Adam and Eve was given before the fall. Okay, and the command to Noah and his family was given obviously after the fall and we see that in there right sin is already in our hearts but yet god still does not abandon his creation right and then the next thing that we see happens after this worship okay is that a covenant is established between god and all creatures and that covenant is sealed with a rainbow Again, we see this in uh, in Genesis 9, like in the later, later verses, okay, and this is the first formal covenant that is made in all of Scripture. Now, covenant is a fancy word for, that means promise or agreement, okay, and this is the first one of several throughout the Bible. And now, again, the, the rainbow, as we see in the text, right, is first a reminder for God. It's a reminder to God to not destroy the earth, no matter what humans do. It's a reminder to God to say, for God to hold up his side of the covenant. To not destroy the earth, no matter what humans do. And you know what, quite frankly, I'm pretty glad that God has held up his end of the deal. And then the secondary sign of the rainbow is a sign for us. 
right? It's a sign that is supposed to bring us comfort and hope and remembering the fact that God does not forget about us and that God is full of love and grace and that ultimately that love and grace wins out over judgment because, you know what, I, I don't know what, you know, how bad it was really at our time right now in 2020 compared to what it was like before the flood, but I, I don't see consistently and completely evil, right? But I can still imagine that God, I know that God's heart has been broken more than just in that moment. But yet, again, that rainbow brings us comfort knowing that love and grace wins out over judgment. Right? We, we see this, this covenant again in Genesis 9, verse 11 and 13. It says, yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds, and it is a sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. At first, it was a reminder for God, and then it's also a reminder for us. And then we see after they come out, and this, again, Noah was a righteous man. He was a man of faith or all that, but yet he was not perfect. Okay, then we see what happens to this. Um, next, in verses 20 through 27, okay, is that Noah um, gets drunk, passes out in his tent, okay, and um, is is naked as he sleeps off his stupor. And his sons come in and find him, and they, they, they have to kind of deal with this, right, and, and go through that. And, and again, you can read the story. I encourage you to read it. It's, it's really in there. I'm not telling you a lie. Okay, like, go back, read it. It's in, in Genesis chapter 9, okay, starting at verse 20 is where we get into this little phase of Noah's story. Now, again, this part of the story always leaves itself out of the kids' books, thankfully. Right? And, and yet... Okay, it's like this happens, and yet, why is this part of the story in there? Okay, well, it is in there because, again, it reminds us that the shame of sin is still a part of creation. Right, the shame of sin is still there. We see in verse 23, right, it says, Then Shem and Japheth took the robe, and they held it over their shoulders, and they backed into the tent to cover their father. And as they did this, they looked the other way so they would not see him naked. I get, see, it's really there. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't telling you a lie. Okay, and yet, again, they go in. The shame of sin is still there. We see that, right? But, and we know that as a part of our world. We look at our world. We know that the shame of sin is still present. But yet, again, that's not the end of the story, right? The shame of sin is still there, but so is the hope for redemption, is the shame of sin still there? Absolutely. But so is the hope for redemption. Right? And again, we see this in Genesis 8, 21 and 22. And it says, And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice. And he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. There is still hope, right? Again, just as the text tells us, again, I encourage you to underline that phrase, as long as the earth remains, because guess what? We're still here. Right? Even in the midst of this crisis, right, there's everybody getting like, oh, it's the end of the world. Now, again, I don't, whatever, right? I don't know that. None of us know that. That's what scripture tells us. But the fact is we're still here. And the fact that we are still here means that there is still hope for redemption. 
right? That our faith journey is not over. That li- that's literally a part of the definition of faith, right? It's the reality of what we hope for. Again, what do we hope for? Right, we hope for a heavenly home, right? A place where evil is not a part of that creation, right? Where we can once again be in unhindered relationship with God, right? And that is made possible because of Jesus Christ, right? Because of the gospel and because of the mission of the Messiah and him living a sinless life, dying on a cross, rising again so that we can be saved. And that is the core of our faith. That is how we are redeemed. Because the truth is, the truth of Scripture is, instead of God recreating the earth again, God is now focused on recreating his people. In fact, that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews tells us. That's the conclusion of the hall of faith. Right, Hebrews 11, 39 and 40. And it says, all of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us. So that they would not reach perfection without us. Again, why has God not returned for the second time and, and ushered in the new creation? Because God still has something better. For us, right? He didn't come, you know, before because he wants us to be saved. There is still hope for redemption. Again, and God has something better in mind for you. No matter where you are at in your faith journey, you are still here, which means that God is not done recreating you. There is more journey ahead of you. Right? And it is better. It is going closer to Christ. So as we start to move forward from this COVID season of our lives, it, it naturally brings in the season of evaluation for everybody. Right? And again, what, what needs to go back into my life? What needs to stay out? But the first and foremost question is, are you doing exactly what God is asking you to do? Again, I don't know what God's asking you to do, but I do know that it starts with you receiving Christ as your Savior. Right? You joining the journey of faith and, and inviting him into your life and confessing your sin and asking for that forgiveness and for, that, for him to start redeeming and recreating your heart. And if you've already received Christ as your Savior, then the fact that you're still here means that your faith journey isn't over and that we need to continue because God still has something better in mind for you. Which brings me to my final thought this, this morning, and that is this. Right? No matter how bad life seems, God is still actively involved and at work to redeem his creation. Are you living out your faith by doing exactly what God is asking you to do? I hope you are. Right? And if you are not, this is the perfect time for you to recommit or commit your life to Jesus for the first time and start doing exactly what God is asking you.